Well, hi again, everybody. I hope you had a good Christmas. Uh, Kevin, did you get my Christmas gift? I had a lump of coal uh, right on my uh, my walkway. Yeah, what I do, Warren, here, here's a hell of a move for everyone to try. Hi again, everybody. It's Jim Jerome coming out with a special edition of Inside Curling with our two World Curling Hall of Famers, Kevin Martin and Warren Hansen. And as we said, special edition. We've got a couple of interviews we're going to listen to. Uh, here's what you do, you guys, for Christmas. You know everyone has Amazon boxes on their front step? So you just park your car, you run up there, you don't steal them. But I just write my name on them, like Merry Christmas from Jim. Right? So <laughs> it's a great move, Kev. So those things, Kev, that you got uh, from me, I have no idea what they are. I just put my name on them when I went by your house. <laughs> I want to thank all our sponsors for Inside Curling, who bring you today's special show, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, and Nestle Boost. Here's what's on the show today in the house. Our guest spot will bring you two interesting interviews. In the House is brought to you by Goldline. Goldline curling equipment can be found in pro shops and curling stores all around the world. Plus, there are retail stores in Calgary, London, Scarborough, and Mississauga, and they've got two stores in Ottawa. Goldline can be found at every Grand Slam of curling event and online anytime at goldlinecurling.com. Kevin, you sat down with the boys from Switzerland, Yannick Schwaller and Benoit Schwartz. Check it out. Listen to the Inside Curling podcast ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. You're on a great year so far. Bring this team together. Uh, thoughts on your start? Well, I'm uh, very happy to play with those guys. It's uh, a lot of fun off the ice, and uh, I guess... Then also a lot of fun on the ice. You know what? Uh, what are you guys at? 156 and a half points uh, this year so far, year to date. Uh, number four, ranked number nine in the world. So I would agree that's a pretty darn good start. Um, your setup of the team. I want to talk a little bit about that. It's more common in Europe than, than in Canada with uh, you calling the game and Benoit throwing the last ones. Of course, you're very used to that with the old team, with Peter DeCruz, where you would throw the last ones and, and do the sweeping. I guess... Uh, the advantages, I suppose, Yannick, in, in, in that setup? We, we would have had a lot of opportunities or choices to kind of uh, line up in th that team. Also, Sven skipped and played fourth for quite a while. So uh, we had, a, I guess, a lot of discussions for a period of weeks, I'd say, even before the season. But now, um, I guess, we just tried to settle in for, for a lineup and give it a trust and then go for it. And, yeah, I mean, Benoit is quite easy to handle as a skip, actually. I can show the broom him, to him wherever I want to, I guess. Yeah, one question I wanted for you, uh, Benoit, and that's when it comes to having to throw the last rocks but not holding the broom, being able to, I guess, get a real good feel for, for the line. I guess, how, how do you manage that? I, I remember you, you mentioned in one of your podcasts that it's a disadvantage, and quite honestly, I, I agree. It, it is a small disadvantage, I think, not being able to call the game, see six lines, each end. I only see two, Yannick's. But uh, to be honest, so for example, I thought this season uh, that was also the bigger, uh, for me, quite a big, uh, good positive thing is that Yannick technically is very easy to read. I think we're also very similar. So if I see his two lines before mine, I think it works quite good, yeah. 
So you were really, well, you've always been a very successful skip, starting in junior age and then all the way up till now. I guess what brought it uh, into your mind to try this? It's just a big move. It's, uh, you know, I played with my old team for five years. I I really wanted to try something new to get a, a new process, like guys like Benoit and Sven that challenged me and tried to evolve me as a curler. I guess that was the whole mindset behind this. And then... Right now, it feels very natural to play in this uh, yeah, lineup. So you've got Sven and Pablo as well on the team. Do you have a full-time coach? Yeah, we got uh, Howard Patterson from a uh, former team also. Yep, and, and uh, his responsibilities. What, what, what do you ask of, of Howard? Pep talk the team. I mean, uh, Howard has so much experience. So this is basically what we benefit most from. He's, he's won so many medals and he's won also championships, big championships. Uh, for Norway, uh, very easygoing, super nice guy. And I think for a team like us, you know, technically, tactically, there are so many things you can discuss, but it's not like there is anything super significant to change. I think a guy with his experience is really, uh, is really what we need, actually, yeah. So what would a training program look like for you guys? Do you now, do you live fairly close together, like as a team? So not really, actually. Well, we live we're kind of spread it across Switzerland. Fortunately, it's not a big country. So, but basically, when we train together, it's in Biel. It's a small city near Bern in Switzerland. So it's kind of max ninety minutes away from where we each live. Of course, in an ideal world, we will live. Uh, we would live in the same flat, you know, to all together the whole year. But no, I mean, in the end, there's also life. We have uh, families, and so I think having a balance between spending some times during the week together in in Biel. And also at home with our families, with our girlfriends. I think it's a nice way to manage a professional, I guess, uh, athlete's life. Yeah. I brought up earlier that you know the way you set up your team is probably more normal in, in, in Europe than Canada. Uh, in Canada, athletes tend to other have other jobs on the go, like go outside of curling work. Do you guys have that on your team or is it 100% curling? No, we do. We do. It's kind of a, I think, depending on your age, you know, your situation with family, I mean, can be in different kind of situations. I wouldn't say we are full-time, full-time. So basically, what I have is a Swiss Olympic has a partnership with Swiss Airline. I have a part-time job at Swiss Airline, thanks to that. That is very flexible, and that is part-time. Just being a pro athlete, we can make a living out of, a, out of a, the sport, but it's not, uh, you know, we don't earn a lot. So having something on the side in the summer, also with for the mind, you know, having something different than just sports, I think it's nice. And I understand that many athletes in many different sports sometimes do that, yeah. Uh, for me, it's uh, similar. I worked uh, for quite a while as an architect at my father's firm during uh, uh, my curling career, but now I'm focusing on studying uh, business. So you're in uh, school? In school, yeah. I was doing studies like from a from a university afar. I don't have to be there all the time, you know. I can. I'm quite flexible by my university, so uh, that's cool. The other guys both are uh, working. Uh, Sven is at uh, construction. You know, it also depends in which phase we are in uh, in the season. I guess like close to Europeans, let's say, and focus more on uh, on curling. Then uh, there is not much work and not much study. Then uh, again, right now after the slam, there are still a couple of weeks until Christmas, so you can work more and make a break from from curling, I guess. And what's Pablo do? Uh, right now he started uh, the same program I did five years ago with Peter de Cruz. Um, it's the army program, Swiss army. 
in Switzerland, it's compulsory or mandatory. Everyone has to do the army. And, uh, for one year? Is for one year, yes. And uh, for us, it's quite cool. We have the opportunity just you know, to curl and uh, do sport and do the service like that with a lot of other athletes, not just curling, other, other sports. It's really cool. I, I guess he enjoys and he lives near, near Beale, so he trains every day, I guess, and can work and, and get a decent salary. Mm-hmm. What got you into curling? I actually don't know the answer to this. Myself? Yeah. Uh, completely random. So it was one of my very good... family. No, me, it's not family. So one of my very good friends said in, in primary school, uh, when I was 12, uh, invited me to try. The first time it was cancelled, so <laughs> didn't try. Later in the season, we tried again. Then I, I went to curl and I loved it right away. And and uh, yeah, actually got lucky that I tried the second time with him. Yeah. And uh, since then, loved it. Uh, started practicing quite a lot quite early since then. And and yeah, it got me to a few good curling teams and a lot of uh, good experiences. Yeah. Was there a curling idol that kind of you want, kind of wanted to emulate as a kid? Uh, yeah, I mean, it's kind of it's a bit uh, how do you say cheesy, but um, for me, uh, when I when I grew up as a curler, uh, the the best Swiss team was uh, the team Stuckley. So for me, yeah, they were my idols. Yeah, <laughs> honestly, yeah. Played against those guys a lot over the years. Yeah, we haven't. We just missed them because we, when when we were out of juniors and we played the men, they just uh, retired after playing you in the Olympics. So we just missed uh, that. Yeah. Now you come from a curling family. What was that like? Because uh, your dad was well, obviously uh, very accomplished. Yeah, you know, I I didn't want to know uh, anything of curling uh, at the start. <laughs> I was more into football, and I only started curling. I guess I was fourteen, so a late start. But then I guess uh, it was a bit of a fast track having a dad that knows how to train, what to train, and uh, bugging his mind, I guess. Uh, and yeah, I, I mean, like from the from the beginning on, then I was uh, impressed. I remember watching with him slams, worlds or euros for, of him playing, you know. But slams, um, for example, especially I, I really wanted to be in those as growing up as a as a kid because. Uh, he always said, like back then, um, it's a Canadian thing, and it's hard for Europeans to to be good in in the, in those slams. And I guess it's really cool to to be here and uh, to do good. Isn't it funny how things have changed? Because now I think it's this week where out of sixteen teams on men's and women's side, there's seven Canadian teams in both, and nine teams from not Canada. So isn't that funny? After all these years, how it's changed. Yes. Um, do you guys set up goals for your team? Do you guys discuss uh, monthly goals or, 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 or yearly? Or like, what's your what's your thoughts on that, Benoit? What do, what do you expect to do with this team? We think hard and and we we, we set goals with our um, sports psychologist, I guess, or also with uh, Howard. Uh, but it's not really like for for example the Euros. When we started the season, we said like, okay, we re- we really want to be at the Euros. That's why we had to play that much in the beginning. But then again, we don't say like, okay, we, we judge only by the result. We want to judge by how we compete on the ice. You know, like we had the game against Gushu and we won, like, but still we want to analyze that the same way as we would lose, right? So um, that's how we try to go into a competition. Also, for example, at the Euros, um, it's not that we say, okay, we, we, we must have a medal. It, it's necessary. We have to go out with a medal. We just say like, we take game by game and then try to just do our best curling then we have goals like how to be on the ice, body language, um, how to be with your teammates, uh, stuff like that. 
So would there be somebody videotaping your games sometimes so that you can see after the fact uh, how, how your poker face is going or, or your body action? We don't do that on a regular basis. But honestly, I think we should. Uh, it's always, uh, I think, very useful if you can, um, if you can uh, yeah, rewatch yourself to better reflect on your performance. But uh, yeah, there, there are many, many things you can do. I think coming back on the goals, I think in sports in general and in curling, it's the, it's the same. I think what we really try to do is to set performance goals. You know, how do you want to, how you want to behave, where you want to perform, which aspect of your game you want to improve. Those are goals. That, and what we try to avoid to analyze is just the result. Because just looking at if you won or lost, I mean, it will probably not bring you any further, you know. You really have to understand what happened. Some of our, our best games just this season, a few of them, we might have lost them. So, you know, if you just get blind and only look at the results, uh, it's probably not the best way if you're a pro. When we're asking a lot of teams, we, 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 talk, we talk to a lot of players, and most say that a year after the Olympics will be kind of a soft year. Will there be a break for you guys at all, or is it going to be like this now? Because this first year has been active, will it be like that for the uh, for the four years the quad? Yeah, it's interesting because I think if we could have really chosen, we would have preferred to play a bit less this season. Uh, we had to play quite a lot to in order to you know collect the points and go to the Europeans. That was the system that was set by our federation. I think we would have preferred to play a bit less, but all in all, you know, we we all, we always take the positive of what what comes. So we had to play a lot. It was a good opportunity to, to get along and, you know, get some experience uh, together. Maybe if the system is different next year, maybe we're going to play a bit less. But uh, all in all, uh, yeah, a lot of positive that um, out of uh, the many games we've played together. Uh, you know, for us, it's a new team. So I think in the beginning, it's really easy to get along well. So we'll see. Uh, I think maybe next year we can play a bit less, but uh, this season was so far was fine, yeah. Great. Well, thank you very much, you guys. Thank you for taking the time. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you. Previously in Painting the Pitch Red, we've looked at the history of Canadian soccer. But in our season finale, we joined the Reds through their drama-filled World Cup campaign. I think we are, we're pinching ourselves. It's um, it's just real now. It's getting more real by the hour. I can't watch a sporting event that big in an environment like that. Yeah, Roberto Martinez said after the game that Canada were the better team. I've never in my life felt that kind of energy in, in a stadium. It just gives me goosebumps in talking about it. And the headline says, you have the mouth, but do you have the balls? The John Herdman thing is what? One of the top five stories of the World Cup now? This is the biggest load of garbage I have ever read. Henry Standage joining us. Give us the reason to believe in this yeah. team this year. Join us at the end of our present day journey. Painting the Pitch Red, Chapter 4, Qatar's Canvas, out now. All right, Kevin, you're becoming a very good interviewer, by the way. I'm impressed. Maybe she'd interview you sometime. You You're not Warren. <laughs> <laughs> I should take a page out of your book. Okay, Kev, what do you got? What's your reaction to all that? Well, you know what? I think it's uh, really important to get uh, the Yannick Schwaller name out there because uh, back in junior, that was the year where there was uh, Maddie Dunstone, Corey Dropkin, Yannick Schwaller, Bruce Mowat. Those were the final four in the junior men's 
world championships. And all of those players have become so good. And Yannick is one of them. I think it's really interesting him willing to step back from throwing last rocks, bringing in Benoit Schwartz, who's absolutely fantastic player. And Yannick's calling the game. Benoit's playing third, but throwing the last two. I just think it's going to work out tremendously for them. But I really think bringing the, the Yannick Schwaller name up front is really important because he's going to be one of the champions in the future, along with the other three that he played in, in Matty Dunstone and Dropkin and, uh, and of course, Bruce Mowat, who's, who's, he's, he's made his name already. Uh, what do you think, Warren? I think a couple of things. Uh, they were one of the teams that played a lot of games early in the year. And uh, I think at this point in the year, they've played well over 60 games. And uh, the, the question of why did you do that, I think, applied also to the Dropkin team and the fact that they were trying to get in enough points early in the season because they're a new team to be able to get into the Grand Slams. And so that's why a few of those teams played all those games was to get the ranking points they needed to get into the Slam. So the other thing I found interesting was what do these four guys do? Are they full-time curlers? And they do have jobs, but it doesn't seem as if they are uh, gainfully full-time employed with anyone. The Swiss Air attachment to the Olympic Committee sort of uh, gave one of them some employment. I thought, interesting again, that uh, a couple of them, the guys in the front end, are actually, he didn't say they were in the Army, but he said they were paid by the Army. That's the second time we've run, run into that with Italians as well, where they're actually... The government is kind of taking care of them by saying, these guys are in the army. And of course, in Switzerland, they must uh, be in the army for a full time for, for one year. And then they go back every year for a number of years for a couple of months. But uh, I thought, again, those were some interesting comments about what these guys actually do. Uh, second interview, big show packed. Uh, we're bringing you double, double interview today. Corey Dropkin and Andrew Stapera. Here it is. Awesome, guys. Hey, thanks a lot, Corey and uh, Andrew, for uh, taking the time. Andrew, the new member to the team, um, you've got some big uh, shoes to fill. Joe Polo, uh, not on the team anymore. And uh, so I guess your your thoughts on uh, joining, well, obviously, one of the best or the best uh, U.S. men's team. Yeah, obviously, it was, it was really exciting to, to get the call to join these guys. They've had a lot of success so far, especially the last uh, couple of years. And Joe was a great player. Like his resume speaks for itself, but you know, I'm hoping that I can join this team and kind of help us get to the next level and help us achieve some goals that uh, we've set forward for ourselves. It's great. Hey, Corey, uh, you and I talked, gee, it's gotta be a couple of years ago um, about Joe's influence as far as kind of a coach, not, not just a member of the team, but kind of a coach as well for you as you're growing up and, and uh, into the game. And now you got Andrew Supera on on the crew. Does that change the dynamic of the team? Because I'm imagining that Andrew's not coming in as a coach slash player. The difference between uh, those two scenarios. Yeah, it was. I mean, certainly an interesting change. I mean, with Joe, he brought a ton of experience between uh, the you know, 06 Olympics bronze and and the 18 gold. Um, you know, he's had a, a ton of years in the sport, a lot of reps behind him. He kind of brought that calm, cool collectedness to the team. Um, and it was nice to have him always by the side, sort of always kind of giving you the pat on the back, even in, in the tough situations. Um, I think Andrew really does actually a pretty good job of that. He's always kind of been sort of cool headed and pretty calm in those situations when, you know, things get difficult. So in mixed doubles now, because you play a lot of that, how is that going to 
fit in in this quadrennial because it's not just four-person curling that has an Olympic medal on the line. Mixed doubles does too. And you, Corey, being one of the best mixed doubles players and Corey, Corey and Corey, how are you going to work that out? Yeah, it's certainly difficult. And I, you know, I, one of the things I would like to say too is that, you know, mixed doubles is becoming a, a huge sport now for, for curling. And with uh, all the new events coming into the tour for mixed doubles, you've, in order to really sustain, say, like that top rank, you've got to be playing a lot of competitions in the mixed doubles. And, and Corey and I, as a newer team, you know, I think this year we'll plan on playing a couple events before nationals, kind of a little bit of a lighter year for us. Um, just trying to get our, our feet under us with our men's and our women's teams. You know, she's now playing with Tab. And so she's looking forward to that experience. And it seems like they're already clinging pretty well. So for us, it's, it's, I think it's going to be sort of a lighter start. And, you know, we're, we're in the same city in Duluth. So we're able to practice more together, which is going to be really nice. And sort of as we get closer to that Olympic run, that Olympic year, we'll start playing more and more. And, uh, you know, Andrew, I'm not sure about, you know, you and Sarah, obviously a phenomenal mixed doubles team too. Um, I think you guys are playing a couple more events too this year. I think it's like three or four events. So, I mean, busy, but could be busier, I guess. It might get busier as as we go through. So, Andrew, when it comes to mixed doubles and four-person curling, um, this has really changed the game uh, for the athlete. Consideration of of just health. Uh, Is there a limit to the amount of curling a body can do? I don't think that's, I, I, I think that's got to be a concern these days. Yeah, it's certainly a fair question. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think like you're playing six out of the next seven weekends. I'm playing seven out of the last seven weekends or so, like including the last two and then through uh, the pan continentals in November. So yeah, it's a lot of curling. I mean, I guess I'll let you know how I feel <laughs> at the end of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's hard to find that balance just because both things matter so much. Like both have Olympic medals on the line, like you said. So we want to get better and do well at, at both of those. And it's, it's hard to get really good at both disciplines without playing both disciplines, especially against best in the world. So yeah, I mean, just trying to, to manage how we feel with, you know, how many games we can play. And it's kind of a learning experience this season, especially for me with the last two seasons kind of not being full seasons, not having the opportunity to play as much. So trying to figure out uh, like what my body can take and kind of what the right mix is. Well, and you've got the Sarah's on, on your team in yeah. mixed doubles and a good sweeper. Mm-hmm. So will you share the sweeping duties? In, and I'm thinking in a health way, because if you play a ton and you're sweeping every single stone that's thrown in mixed doubles, wow. Are you going to be able to maybe share that task? I'm going to ask you the same thing, Andrew, because we got a couple of skippers on that team. Go ahead, Andrew. Yeah, I mean, we just played in, in Banff last weekend, and I would say I swept most shots. Like, we'll have Sarah come in. If I'm throwing a hard one, she'll sweep that. But it's something we've talked about. Like, how can we get Sarah in? And this is not just playing with Sarah. It's playing with other mixed doubles and partners in the past. Like, how can we effectively, you know, kind of mix in the sweeping? Because I like to think I'm a good sweeper, but also, you know, she's a very good sweeper too. And you know, it's important to get breaks out there and kind of take shots off. Um, not take shots off, but give yourself a break when needed. No, maybe even take shots off yeah, from maybe. sweeping. Yeah. So, Corey, uh, with, with you and Corey Christensen, both skips. Um, now, fitness level for you is never an issue. You work out extremely hard. But still, there's so much uh, on the joints that those are things you can't really work on are uh, those issues, hips and knees. What are your what are your thoughts on all this? I know you and I have talked about this before, but 
Yeah. It's, it's becoming so busy. Yeah, you're seeing a, a huge importance um, on your fitness levels. And I think our, our whole team has been really trying to target increasing our fitness levels for that reason exactly. Um, when it comes to Corey and I, you know, she does a lot of, she, does, she calls, you know, strategy and calls the house really well. Um, and I also think it's important too, to have somebody in the house calling line. I find it that it's, it's hard to call line from behind the stone, especially with sweeping nowadays and how the feet kind of get in the way. Um, so I do think there's a heavy importance of having someone in the house, uh, when possible to call line. And, you know, when, when it gets junky in the house, like as it does in mixed doubles, um, it's a lot easier to see the angles. Take breaks when I can. You know, if, if we're throwing a high heavy one or, or say we get up, you know, in a game and, you know, we know we, there's a, a long week left to play, you know, mixing in Corey Sweep and some more. And, um, you know, I think she I think she loves being in the house and calling line and let me do some of the heavy lifting when it comes to that. Yeah, it's uh, it's definitely exhausting. I mean, I'm huffing and puffing out there and I know, Andrew, you're doing the same. So it's uh, not an easy sport. One, I had to ask you this question. We'll see how you answer it. Uh, your favorite game, four person or mixed doubles? I love them both for different reasons. <laughs> I was wondering how you'd answer that. What kind of a, what kind of a cop out answer would it be? Yeah, it's a, it's a tough one though because you know I, I like being able to have the opportunity to throw last rocks and call a game. But I'm a very active person, and uh, mixed doubles also kind of gives me the freedom to uh, sort of be wherever on the sheet that I want to be and uh, and uh, you know express I suppose like my fitness levels, what I work so hard for. So um, they both sort of have their own treasures, I'd say. Okay, let's segue over to uh, the nationals, um, national championships, and the structure. Do you guys know the structure for 2023, Andrew? I believe it's eight team full round robin. Um, I'm not fully positive what the playoffs look like, so I'm not. And then how about uh, how do the teams qualify? I believe there are teams that are qualifying through points on the World Curling Tour. And then there's also going to be a challenge round for the last uh, few spots or handful of spots. And we, we have the teams like the Olympic team, John's team gets in and Tab's team, and then the last two. Yep. I, I and believe, the junior team too. Yeah, I believe both Olympic teams, both current national champion teams are world representatives. And then there's going to be like two or three teams on top of that, that that are in through points. And then there's a challenge round. Okay, you've got John Schuster's team, of course, mm-hmm. and yours, um, battling it out lately. Um, to enlighten the, the everybody listening in, um, the other top teams on the men's side that will give you guys trouble, who uh, who you guys worry about in the, in the U.S.? I think, you know, a few of the you know, top incoming teams are Scott Dunham, who's who's really been there for forever, and those guys keep getting more and more talented and, and put up some really good games. Um, you know, we have a really great junior, not junior anymore, U25 team, Danny Casper, who actually last weekend just made one of the greatest shots against me. I think someone's ever made, um, like a 30 foot angle run back. That was like a foot off the hog line and a foot off the sideline into the forefoot. Um, yeah, kids are impressive. And then, uh, yeah, we have some good junior teams coming in too. And who else, you, who else are you thinking? There, there's a lot of solid teams. Yeah. Like, we played in that event in Blaine, uh, two weekends ago and, we had some good games. I mean, those are the two teams we played in the playoffs, but there's a lot of solid teams and a lot of young teams getting better. Too. Where I was going with that is the growth of curling in the U.S. is outstanding right now. And pretty much from east to west and north to south, all over um, the U.S., new clubs are opening and more and more curlers. I'd like to get your thoughts on, on the growth in, in your country. Um, it's fantastic. The training. So you get all these thousands and thousands of new curlers coming into the game. 
but the but the structure of a mechanism to improve all these young people that are diving into this game of curling, mm-hmm. Corey. I think it's a really tough one to answer fully. It's uh, we we do have this development program, and we do have you know you know training camps and training facilities that we have now structured. And it's great to see, especially all these, you know, juniors and U25 kids who are now sort of funneling into Minnesota, sort of like we did as well, um, who are living in the cities and and training, you know, at the training house in Egan for fitness and in Chaska or Blaine for ice and, you know, on the ice five to seven days a week, sometimes, you know, twice a day. Um, it's impressive and, and it actually shows too, because they are very talented juniors coming up. You know, when it comes outside of that, you know, I, I, honestly, I was actually going to ask you kind of what your thoughts are and on how you believe, you know, USA Curling could also adapt and expand and develop their, you know, incoming athletes. <laughs> you can't, uh, you're not supposed to ask the interviewer a question. <laughs> That's not the way it's supposed to work, Corey. Um, when it comes to uh, triples. Yeah. This is, now, that's a game that you're familiar with. In, in Canada, triples has really grown. And what it is, just for people that don't, don't know, um, it's six rocks, three people, obviously triples, but it's six ends, six rocks. And what I love about it is um, if the three of us are on a team and the first two ends, Andrew's throwing the first two rocks, you're throwing the second two, and I'll throw the last two. That's for two ends. The next two ends, then we switch. I'll... Move you move up to skip and so on, and you just rotate, and the last two ends rotate again. And what that sh- for a beginner and intermediate play is that when a person joins a curling club and you're new, you're new to the game, you tend to be the lead, and then you tend to be on that team for a while, and you continue to be the lead. Ten years later, you're still the lead. The person doesn't become a well-rounded curler because they're they're the sweeper, but they don't hold the broom, they don't call, they don't discuss strategy with the skip if you're the third. Whereas with triples, it, it forces a new player to play the lead position and sweep, forces you to be the second, third, where you need to discuss strategy with the skip, but also sweep. And then for two ends, you've got to hold the broom and figure out where to put it and learn how curling works from the skip's position. Your thoughts on triple when it, triples when it comes to growth of curling in any country, but especially the U.S. with all the growth. I think that would certainly help create more of a well-rounded curler. You know, I agree. It's, you know, sometimes when when athletes get stuck in a position, you know, sometimes they get bored of that position or, or you know, they just want to be able to expand and, and you know, see what they can do themselves in, say, as a third or a skip or, or even a second. I, I, I think there's a lot of value in, in potentially triples, being able to sort of alternate and, and develop all those attributes as a curler. Yeah, Andrew, the difference between uh, being stuck at lead for oh, for so many people for many, many years at the at the local club level. I'm not talking about high performance mm-hmm. here. This is about growing the sport um, and having the opportunity for a person that's just starting. I love walking into the into the clubs in the U.S., which I do a lot, and the energy of, of a, I think, now you guys clear me up if I'm wrong, but they call it U5, meaning under five years you've played, mm-hmm, yeah. that kind of thing, and the energy of the of the players and, and what this could do for growth in a, in a country. To almost answer your question, Corey. No, yeah, I, I think it's a great idea because, like you said, like players are stuck in these roles, and it's good. And, and we have so many enthusiastic curlers, especially the ones you're talking about. The, like in the first five years, like we have tournaments um, all across 
the U.S. really for that. I think we have a national championship that started a couple years ago. It's called U5? Yeah, U5 national championship. Yeah. And they had a bunch of different sort of regional qualifiers to get there. And, and uh, John Schuster, I believe, was, was you know, he was helping to sort of create that that event. And I think it was hosted in, in California last year. And so it's pretty neat, pretty neat event. But no, I, I agree because I do think, you know, knowing a lot of club curlers, of course, you know, there's there's some that kind of get stuck at lead and and or second and, and sort of wanting to expand and try out different positions. I really think that's a cool sort of strategy to implement to have them, you know, build more interest in, in a way and, and expand on their talents. You know, one last one last uh, topic, and then we'll let you guys get back to uh, to the business of curling. But um, when it comes to the clubs, and just, I guess, once again, looking at the growth. And traditionally in Canada, the game of curling was done in a lot of rural areas. Farmers would be putting in the crops in, in May. So we had to be done curling by the end of March, early April. And then the harvest happens in the fall. And so until the middle of October something, so after Thanksgiving, curling would start. And that was kind of curling season in Canada. But in, in the U.S., it seems to me that that doesn't, that's not even a thing. It's just kind of all year round. It seems like a 12-month-a-year sport. So membership, this is what I'm getting at, is membership at the club. Um, do you have yearly members, or is it more, can you book for six weeks or, uh, or, or a quarter or a couple of months, or do you just, can you just pay and play like a golf game? Like you and I get together, we go for a round of golf, and we just pay for that one time. Are those all options, Corey, for, for the, in the U.S. to play? I think that depends on the club. Uh, there's some clubs that are open from, say, like uh, October to March. Those are, you know, full-year memberships, so during that time frame. Um, I do know that there are some curling clubs that are open year-round, and so they sort of have like a, I don't know if it's a quarterly or if, like maybe three different seasons that you can join and, and be a part of a, um, a, like a league for. Um, I, I do really like the idea of of having sort of that membership where you can just say come in and, and play, you know, on one Sunday, but not be, you know, not paying, you know, the whole pile of money to to try to be a member for the full length of the season. Um, being able to kind of go in for a pickup game and enjoy it, and if you decide you really like it, feel free to join some more leagues. It'd be a good way of attracting more members, more uh, new members that that otherwise probably wouldn't have joined. Well, it just seems to me that people's uh, we're getting a little off track. But that's okay. Uh, it seems to me that a lot of people, uh, the way they live their life now, Andrew, is that they they get busy and 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 they don't have time to be a Thursday night at six thirty every Thursday. That's when you curl in the mixed league, men's league, women's league. Impossible for anybody like me, and and, and there's got to be lots of people like me in this in this world who who every week is 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 different. But I, I love to do play pickleball or play golf or do these things, but it needs to be a drop in thing. <laughs> and, and if I can do it once a month or four times a month, great. But then the next month, I might not make it once. Your thoughts on that as being kind of a, a way of looking at curling, kind of like golf. To your point, um, you can have yearly memberships if you want to play that much or just when you can. Yeah, I, I think that would be a great way to allow more people to curl, quite frankly. I know a lot of curling clubs, especially in the U.S., just have are so busy all the time that it's hard to say like, Friday night at 8 p.m., you can just come in and curl because they have three leagues a day at five, seven, and nine, and there's not a lot of time. But I think there's newer curling clubs. I think like the T-Line Club in Nashville, they're doing a little bit more of like what you said, where you can kind of drop in and try it. And I don't think experience level is 
all that important to, you know, if, if you've played for years or if you just want to try it for the first time and you can rent an hour. And I, and I think that's a, a great way to get more people to the curling club and get more people trying it and, and allow people who, you know, like you said, maybe don't have, you know, the same time every week to kind of get on the ice and keep enjoying that passion. Yeah. Hey, thanks a lot, guys, for a great discussion. Appreciate you taking the time, and good luck. Yeah, thanks, Kevin. Thanks. So, Kevin, what jumps out at you? Well, you know what? I think talking to Corey and, 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 and he's very, very good at mixed doubles, but that's probably the discussion I enjoyed the most with, uh, with both of them is, is trying the discussion between mixed doubles and four person curling and not ruining the body. Like that's been a concern of mine with the season getting longer and longer. And with, of course, with my hips the way they are now, after all the curling, I'm wondering about these, these young athletes that play so much and practice so much. And, uh, you know, that, that was a great discussion with them as to how, how, how are we going to not tire the bodies out? early, early and, and make for short careers. So I think that was a good discussion. And, and on to, to Corey's point of, uh, having the, the, the female partner in the mixed doubles sweeping more and, and trying to figure that out when and how much. And, uh, for a couple of reasons, Jim, there's, there's a sweeping for keeping the body well, but also just not wearing down the brush heads, like, you know, equalizing that a little bit. So good discussion. Cool. Warnsy, what do you say? Yeah, like Kevin, I thought their mixed doubles comments were uh, quite interesting. These are two young guys. And I uh, should also mention that uh, Stapera is new on that team this year. He replaced Joe Polo, the old veteran who was kind of the stabilizing force with those young guys. So he comes in in the same age category as Dropkin. I thought being very high in mixed doubles was interesting. Also, we should mention, and I'll ask Kevin, so this team is a team of the future in the U.S., but John Schuster's still around there. So, Kevin... What do you think this year in the next quad between Schuster and these young guys, how is that going to shake down? It's probably going to be pretty close, I would think, wouldn't you? Well, it's interesting, isn't it, that you probably started this quad where John Schuster, just because it's just smarts, you know, veteran, you know, you'd have to give him the edge. But as Corey Dropkin keeps playing more and more Grand Slam events and big events around the world, traveling a lot, you know, I can see that, you know, going the other way as John gets older. Of course, that's just natural. That's nothing against John Schuster, a great friend of mine but just a young guy getting better and better, smarter and smarter. So that's kind of what I see, Warren, is it started out, I would say, uh, John Schuster being just a little bit better, but because of smarts. And then, but as Corey plays more and more, I can see that table turning uh, by the end of the quad. We hear a lot about Corey Dropkin, the, you know, the new up-and-comer. Are there other teams, Kevin, out of the U.S. that are something to look at pretty soon, or is it just Dropkin who's the next guy? Oh, I think it's safe to say that Dropkin's the next team, team Dropkin, no question. Um, but Scott Dunham, I think that's the young fellow's name. There's a lot of uh, young talent. Actually, when you go to their Olympic trials, or I was lucky enough to do that, there's a lot of young talent. Uh, the U.S. is in good shape, actually, um, with young players coming up. It's just a matter of being able to have enough events uh, to be able to to get them good enough, fast enough, if, if that's saying it the proper way. But uh, I think that's really important to be able to get these young players out on the tour, traveling around the world as soon as possible so that they can do kind of like a Bruce Mowat does and, and, uh, and get real good at a young age. Uh, Kevin, with your body deteriorating, it makes you not very hip anymore. 
No, oh, is that lame? <laughs> That's not nice bad word. one. Nice one. You're not one. quite a hipster, Kev, like you used to be. <laughs> okay, good job, Kev. Once again, thanks a lot to Corey Dropkin and Andrew Stapera for sitting down with you and doing that interview. And thank you uh, for listening. Big thank you to our sponsor, Sports Interaction, Coyote Tractor, Goldline, Nestle Boost, uh, for bringing you to this special edition of Inside Growing. A reminder, join us on our Facebook page, Facebook group. Uh, you can sign up, be a member. Email us, insidecurling at gmail.com. Happy New Year, boys. Happy New Year to you, Jim. Have a good one, Jimmy.